<laughs> Yo, what's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Living Single with Yana Janae. As you know, it is season two, and uh, during this season, we are focusing on sex, sexuality, and singleness. And, you know, I'll be honest with y'all, I thought that I was just going to do one or two episodes on sex um, during season one. But as I started to have more conversations with my friends and uh, even like reading books and having a few of you, you know, shoot me uh, a DM sort of asking a question as it relates to sex. I was like, maybe we need to do a whole season on this. Um, but as I've shared before, like I was very nervous about doing it, but then the Lord was like, yeah, it would be really irresponsible <laughs> for you to have a whole podcast about singleness and not talk about sex because sex is one of the things that we, uh, as Christians who believe what the Bible says about sex, like it's one of the things that we abstain from. Right. And so, uh, I remember, you know, uh, I've said this before, having Kinshira on, and he was like, yo, one of the, the things that we're actually missing out on is is sex. And so wanting to have a, a conversation about that uh, because we need to, like it's a necessary conversation for, for singles to have. And in the last episode, you know, it was just kind of like, yo, let's like set the stage Let's try to come up with a, a working definition of sex. And even if you don't agree with my definition of sex, that's fine, <laughs> you know, but I want you to know what I mean, you know, when I say sex um, as we move forward in, in this podcast. But y'all, I'm so happy because my friend, my brother, Omar King is on the podcast today. Omar, say hi to the people. Hey, people, what's going on? Good to be here. <laughs> Omar, um, can you share with our listeners your age, your relationship status, and occupation? Absolutely. So I am 44 years old. I'll be 45 in late September. Uh, my relationship status is I am married. I've been married for 15 years, uh, 15 years, July 29th. And mm. so got an anniversary coming up. And, nice. Uh, yeah. And occupationally wise, I am a counselor. Uh, I do what's called biblical counseling or pastoral counseling. I work for a nonprofit uh, parachurch ministry called Bridge Haven Counseling Associates uh, here in the Triangle area. And we provide, uh, hopefully, <laughs> high-quality pastoral counseling to individuals, couples, and families uh, on a donation on a donation basis. And I've been doing yeah. that for about ten years since uh, Bridgehaven launched in September of two thousand and twelve. Yeah, and you have you do marriage counseling. You help people with anxiety issues. Um, you even work with people who uh, are wrestling through same-sex attraction. You got like the whole gamut over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It really is the whole gamut. We we kind of like to uh, to say that we're general practitioners, but then each of us, each of my my colleagues, have uh, particular or uh, special areas of of interest because obviously counseling and psychology is such a broad field so you can you can specialize in, in, in quite a number of things but yeah we we counsel individuals couples and families on everything on the emotional spectrum you mentioned a few anxiety depression anger grief uh, insecurity uh, as well as other sort of life dominating struggles um, mm -hmm. like pornography and other kinds of addictions uh, with the exceptions of, subs of substance abuse and then everything on the relational spectrum. So premarital counseling, marriage counseling, uh, parenting, uh, and other other uh, conflict resolution issues. Man, and I've I've benefited from Bridgehaven. You know, um, I did a stint of counseling there with. Oh man, I miss my counselor. <laughs> <laughs> I her. She moved and, you know, you God bless her. we're excited yeah. for, for that. 
But um, y'all, so I actually heard about Omar before I met Omar. And so Omar was kind of like this this uh, public figure <laughs> in our community. You were, you absolutely were. Um, I would hear his name often. And then I would sometimes see you at a local coffee shop and, you know, you would always be there reading a book. I mean, like in that book or reading, reading the word or even like meeting with someone. And it was very clear that you maybe didn't go to the coffee shop to like talk to people. <laughs> like <laughs> You went to get some work done. But right. anytime someone struck up a conversation with you, you gave them your full attention. Um, even when I've talked to you, you know, like you're locked in, uh, you're very present. And it's just something about that that makes people feel really seen and loved. And um, and so, yeah, I've always, I always observed that about you from afar. And then I had an opportunity to meet your wife, Latoya, who, y'all, she's a gem. She really, really is. She is beautiful in and out. Um, a woman that I admire um, and have have had the the privilege of of just doing life with and learning from, and so you did really good, brother. You did really good. And so she's a gift that keeps on giving. Oh yeah, she's the greatest she gift is. after my salvation that the Lord has ever given me. Yeah, Man. without a doubt. Yeah, she's she's wonderful, y'all. I wish everybody had somebody like Latoya in in their life. Um, and humble too, you know, it's just like okay. all of those things together. It's just really, really beautiful. But um, for my birthday, <laughs> Omar and Toya took me out um, and I feel like I was on a date. I, I yeah. really did. Y'all, it was really, was really cute for me, <laughs> you know, um, but we went out and we ended up just kind of like talking about some of the ideas that I had about the podcast and where I wanted it to go next and coming out of that conversation and sort of praying about like who to have, I was like, yo, I got to have Omar. I got to have Omar, you know, on the podcast. One, because I know that you're so thoughtful in terms of how you, you speak and, and how you think about certain topics and where most people are very much black and white you have this ability to sort of live in the middle, but not in a way that is like dishonoring to God or anything like that, but yeah. in a way that acknowledges like that we are living within the meta narrative, you know, of creation, fall, rescue, and final redemption, right? And so yes. there's a lot of tension there. Like we live in a yes. fallen world. And so our expectations need to include, you know, like that, that reality. Um, we are people who are in process, right? And so even Agreed. when we talk about things like grief and sex and anger, like we need to even, you know, remember those sort of things. And so it was just like a, it was, it was really clear. It was like, yeah, this will be, Omar will be really great for, for this. And so today y'all, we are going to be talking about uh, God's original design for sex, uh, really like looking at Genesis one and two, you know, and when God created everything, sex included, what was his intention um, behind it? And I feel like there's so much there, right there in Genesis one uh -huh. um, for us. But before we get into that, um, Omar, I wanted to, to, to talk to you a little bit about what I shared an episode uh, one, sex ed, one-on-one, -on -one, where I shared a bit about, you know, what I did and I didn't learn about sex mm -hmm. <laughs> growing up. And so before we jump into today's topic um, on God's design for sex, can you share a little bit about what you learned about sex growing up and just kind of who were your primary teachers? Yes. You know, Yana, I actually uh, listened to your your first uh, episode in season in season two um, prior to prior to our interview our conversation uh, today and uh, I think we share very very similar uh, hmm. sort of stories in in terms of um, 
what we both learned or did not learn uh, about sex from the uh, primary caretakers in our lives and other teachers and pastors and whomever, uh, there was really, even in my life, a dearth of education and information about, about sex. Uh, I was really kind of fending for myself. Uh, by the time I hit, uh, I think I started going through puberty at nine, 10, and kind of before, before, before I go on, let me say something really quickly about your first podcast um, in this season that I think sets the tone for kind of not just our discussion, but the subsequent discussions that you're going to have with some of the folks that you're going to be interviewing. I think you did a fantastic job. Thanks, uh, yeah, you, 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 you brought things to light. You began by, you began a conversation around this subject, uh, bringing things to light that have been hidden for, for, for a long time that we, mm -hmm. that when I say we, meaning the church has been, uh, somewhat both awkward and resistant to sort of talk about. Yeah. You, 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 but you talked about it in an, you talked about it in an honest way. So I appreciate your candor, but you also did it without being in, uh, without being in, in, de in decorous, right? Or indecorous, mm -hmm. right? Without mm -hmm. being provocative, unduly provocative, right? So, mm -hmm. and that's, that's one of the, that's one of the, the challenges. And I think it's one of the reasons why we also are reluctant to have these conversations because part of it is learning how to talk about it honestly, but not doing so in the ways that the world talks about sex, right? Yeah. And I think you thread that needle really, really well and set the stage for like these kinds of conversations and the ones that you're gonna have afterwards. So um, yeah, yeah. Thanks, but yeah, I for me, yes, ma'am. Yeah, you're more than welcome, well-deserved. But yeah, for me, um, I, didn't, I didn't learn anything and this is, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, wonderful Christian home. My, my mother and my father are my heroes. And there was a lot of things that they taught me and my sister. I have an older sister who's five years older than me and uh, she and I are very, very close. My mom has since passed away. Um, she passed away back in 20, 2010. My, my dad's still around, but I have a wonderful relationship with my parents. My parents are fabulous. They were fabulous, okay? <laughs> but they ain't talk to me about no sex now. <laughs> other than don't do it <laughs> right right exactly and, and and like you were like you were saying i know you said you went to a catholic school but i, I want i want to say i recall you saying that maybe one of the churches that you attended was like kind of like a holiness or a charismatic church which is what mm -hmm. i grew up in the united holy church of america uh mm -hmm. which is a pentecostal sort of holiness church and um yeah you didn't talk about that uh, and, and of course, women didn't, women didn't wear pants or wear makeup, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So my mother broke all those rules, even while she was there. <laughs> she was like, praise God. <laughs> praise God for that. Right. But I digress. So, but yeah, my parents didn't talk with me about that. And the only time that I did end up having conversations, particularly with my father was, was when I was in trouble for putting my hands in places that they didn't belong. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was more a reaction, right, after misconduct or misbehavior, as opposed to having these proactive uh, conversations and discussions once I hit puberty and throughout my early, uh, early to mid teens uh, around uh, around sex and around my my sexuality, it was just not something that 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 came up. It's so interesting how my our parents can have conversations about who we need to be protected from, right? In terms of if someone else is trying to do something to me, yeah. right? Trying to touch me inappropriately, for example, yeah. 
So I was, I was schooled on that, but they didn't have conversations with me about, let's talk about how we manage our own drives, our own sexual feelings and drives and, and uh, erotic feelings and lust and all of that. And, and what does that look like? So that was just non-existent. Yeah. Man, that's so, and that's, that's so true. You know, it was just like, you know, I remember the, you know, the talk being don't let other people touch you. Right. Mm -hmm. But the talk wasn't about sort of how I, you know, behaved or what I did with, with my own body, man, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, That's really, really interesting. And so how would you say the lack of conversation, you know, around sex impacted you um, individually, but then also impacted your relationships? I think, unfortunately, I ended, ended up developing a relationship with, with, with sex, with uh, my sexual feelings. I ended up developing sort of a love-hate relationship with it. Right? Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, or a relation, I would say a relationship that was uh, primarily driven by shame. Mm-hmm. Primarily driven by shame. And I think like, I think like so many young men who, who I've counseled, and when I asked them the same question, that you just asked me, almost, almost unanimously, it is, yep, my parents didn't have this conversation with me. And yet at the same time, it was expected that I was going to conduct myself a certain way as a Christian or growing up in a Christian home. And, and so you end up developing this weird relationship with, mm-hmm. with sex and, and because it forces you into hiding. Right. Mm-hmm. It forces you to do things behind closed doors. It forces you, maybe forces is not the, but it pressures, right, you to do things in the dark. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it even sets people up when they are experiencing, when they uh when they are experiencing their sexual feelings or or an orgasm or something like that. There's this pleasure, right? Yeah. In the act in anticipation of it, right? Because it triggers the dopamine in our, mm-hmm. in, in, in our brains, which is responsible. One of the two, one, one of two primary neurotransmitters that's responsible for pleasure, dopamine and serotonin. Mm-hmm. And dopamine is what is, is what is what is triggered when we're having erotic and, and, and sexual uh, feelings. Um, and you, and, and you experience you experience that. Let's say if you're watching pornography or if you're if you're masturbating, but then immediately you feel the shame yeah. afterwards, mm-hmm. right? And the guilt mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. conviction, and you're not taught or told what to do with that. How to how to how to negotiate <laughs> that? Because all you're told is if you do this, it's wrong. So you mm-hmm. know that you feel it. You kind of. You kind of, you know it almost intuitively in some sense, right? Mm-hmm. As well as that's being reinforced by the principles and the values that have been, that have been told to you and that you share. And yet you don't know how to, to not do, <laughs> you know, yeah. the other. And it just creates this really, really sort of uh, thing that you're trying to stay away from, but then you're going to it and then you feel bad about it. And then of course, over time, you begin to start questioning your relationship with God. If I'm, if I'm really saved, if I'm really a Christian, how could I do this? And all of, you know, sort of all of that. So it, so it, it created a, a really sort of nasty kind of, uh, uh, dynamic, um, mm. an outlook and perspective as it, for, for me, with respect yeah. to that, and even in my relationships with others, right? If with 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 women, with girls that I dated, always trying to figure out. And I think you even sort of talked about this in your first uh, in your last episode. Um, set you on this course to find these loopholes, 
think yeah. is the word that you use, right? To yeah. find his, how can I have this? How can I have my cake and eat? How can I have this without going this far? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. without actually having sex. And so you're trying to kind of uh, create a sexual ethic for yourself that allows you to feel like I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm still doing what God wants me to do while also fulfilling some of these kind of these desires that I have. Yeah, man. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. One, because like, I remember that kind of confusion, you know, mm-hmm. um, I have these desires, but I also have this, this teaching, you know, that, that sex is, sex is bad, <laughs> you know, and to not do it, but it feels good. And it's a very confusing, um, it's it's a confusing dynamic and to not have anyone to come alongside you and help you figure out how to move forward is really difficult. And I remember like even in college and having an understanding that, you know, watching certain things like and I've said before, what for me it wasn't like pornography, it was really like soft porn, like Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. you know, like stuff mm-hmm. like that. Things that are are generally like acceptable, right? Um, right. Or reading books, um, or just making up things in my mind, and 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 like one knowing that those things weren't like pleasing to the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling the conviction of the Spirit, right? Yes. <laughs> and being like, okay, yes. Lord, but like, how do I move forward? And you know, reading books that really just focused on, once again, the do's and the don'ts, you know, and focused on, you know, you know, sort of like, it was like an elimination diet, you know, like eliminate, you know, the, these kinds of things that you're watching, eliminate the, the kinds of things that you're listening to, you know, protect your ear gate and your eye gate. But it was nothing like that really taught me how to live with like my sexual desires because the thing is, is like you can't divorce yourself from that. Like I can divorce myself from pornography. I can di- divorce myself from listening to certain kind of music. Like I can cut those things off. But like I cannot cut myself off from my sexual desires. And so, like, right? Like how do I how do I live with it? And there wasn't like a whole lot of conversation about it. It was almost like you had to suppress or cut off that part of yourself you know even like using the parable you know where jesus says you know if your 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 right eye offends you you know pluck it out (laughs) you know or cut your hand off Mm -hmm. and it's like wait a minute i can't really i can't really cut that off from me (laughs) right 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 right. like that's not gonna go well for right 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 right. it's not gonna go well for me i need i need those things (laughs) you know so so it's just it 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 just was really really confusing and i think also you're just talking about how you the confusion leads to like negotiating you know, trying mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, well, how do I have the best of both worlds? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in that, realizing you're finding loopholes and you're kind of creating your own sort of sort of sexual ethic. And so it's just really confusing. It's really, really hard. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think about in, in all of like sort of my experience of being discipled, a lot of it was focused on like reading your Bible, um, sharing the gospel, you know, being in community, but very little bit, you know, little of it was about like sexuality, you know, and how, how to navigate right. those things versus like accountability, like what you've been doing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so because of that, having really poor poor thinking about sex, just seeing it as only this bad thing that I need to stay away from, you know, as Mm -hmm. much, as much, um, as possible. Um, but I know you're right. And that increases mm -hmm. the shame that increases, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, which is not talked about, right. Right. Enhances, uh, or pushes us more towards, you know, towards feelings of feelings of shame. And I think if we just have a more balanced 
approach to talking about, like, if the only thing that we say that is good about sex is, you know, it's good, it's good in marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And you need, you need to wait. But then that's the only kinds of conversations that we're having. Cause most people, by the time they hit puberty at nine or 10 years old, and when they get married at, let's say 15 years later, 20, 25 years old, and the only conversation that you're saying is wait, 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 wait. And anything short of that is, is, is wrong. And it very, wait, it very well may be right. Mm -hmm. But we have to have more, we can't just have one conversation. We yeah. can't just have one conversation and think that we've done our jobs as believers, Christian parents, adults, whoever, as we're in terms of talking to uh, young people, um, children, preteens, teenagers around their sexuality. Uh, and um, it's got to be more, it's got to, it's got to be more balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. How do you, how do you think we bring balance to that conversation? What are the, what are the other things that we need to be talking about in order to, to sort of normalize it really? Right. Yeah. Um, Sex is a part of the human experience. Sexual desires is a part of, you know, like how do we sort of normalize it and help people to really learn how to live with their sexual desires? Uh -huh. my, my first thought is just frequency. Hmm. Just talk about it more. It will become normal the more you talk about it. The reason why it feels awkward uh, for teenagers to have the conversations for uh, with their parents for parents to have the conversations with their teenagers because mom and dad waited until they were 16 or 17 to actually have a conversation when they should have been having that conversation with them at age 9 10 11 and weaving into uh the parental education of their of, of their children and uh developing of their of their child weaving conversations around sexuality throughout the throughout the 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 various stages of that child's development mm -hmm. right it needs to be age those conversations need to be age appropriate right but we're not even having age appropriate conversations right we're just bypassing five ten years right and deciding okay now we're going to have that conversation and by then and yana you know this the kids in the in the uh, in the locker rooms and in the gyms and in the hallways, they they've been having those conversations ever since they started having those mm -hmm. feelings, taking all of their cues from the world. And parents think, oh, let's not let's wait until until whatever sort of age. So anyway, part of the way to normalize it is frequency, mm -hmm. um, and I think secondly is just being able, you know, saying to your son, saying to your daughter, you know, periodically, you know, hey, I saw you looking at this person or 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 when we watched this on TV, what did you think about that? How did that make you feel? And mm -hmm. and just opening up the dialogue so that 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 son, that daughter, that child knows it's okay for me to talk about this, mm -hmm. right? And by it being okay for me to talk about it, it lets me know that my, it's one of the ways that can let us know that, uh, that our sexuality is good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then we can get into some more of those kind of more complicated and nuanced conversations about like, okay, is it wrong for me to feel this way, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it, is it okay for me to feel this way? But as long as I don't act on it, mm -hmm. you know, I think you talked about like, the intention versus action kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like as a child becomes more sophisticated in their thinking, you can begin to have some more of those, wade into some of those conversations a little bit more. But I think the first thing is just, if we can just take that first step of having more conversations and not waiting. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think that's good. And I'm even thinking about, you know, kind of my own development you know, I'm an adult now, but I'll be honest with you when it comes to certain things like dating 
and sexuality and all those things, I still very much feel like a teenager, you know, like mm-hmm. developmentally mm-hmm. because yeah. there were yes. all of these sort of, you know, restrictions put around it. And so because of that, I wasn't able to like really grow into my own sort of person. I <laughs> I remember one of my friends saying like, Yana, like, it's okay to flirt. And I was like, no, it's not okay to flirt, <laughs> you know? Or, you know, somebody right. saying like, Yana, if you see a guy, you think he's he's cute, it's okay to smile at him. And I'm like, no, you know, like I'm not supposed to do that. And so like, I'm still like a 12, 14, 15 year old girl, you know, when it, when it comes um, to these things. And so as someone trying to turn the corner and really like, in a sense, deconstruct, you know, uh, sort of what I've learned about sex that was unhealthy, that was restrictive, that was, uh, you know, more about a, a what do you do and what you don't. Like, and it's it's been interesting to try to seek out, like, this biblical sort of perspective about sex. Mm-hmm. And so when did you kind of start to turn the corner and begin to seek out um, a biblical worldview about sex and then like even pursue it, like bring your life, you know, in alignment with it. Yeah. So I became a Christian when I was, when I was nine. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I became a Christian right around the same time I hit puberty. (laughs) A lot of changes, Mm -hmm. a lot of changes. But also because I, I, because I, grew up in a family that that valued um, for me as a man or as a boy I grew up in a family that valued women so I always had this I'm supposed to respect women right and obviously that carries over into the the realm of sexuality now did I always make good on that and like what we were talking about before in my dating relationships, no. Mm-hmm. Do I still have regret for some of the things that 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 I did when I was when I was younger? Yes, especially when I knew better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that I, I, on some level, I felt like I was from probably my probably when I was thirteen, fourteen. I I think I had a a desire to move in the direction of trying to understand. Right, like trying to understand uh, what it looks like for me to be um, obedient to Christ mm-hmm. in the area of, uh, of my of my sexuality. That I began to I began to pursue that much more practically. I think after I graduated from college, so I was maybe around twenty one or twenty two years old. And one of the reasons for that was because of because of my own struggle with pornography and masturbation, all from puberty going forward, all throughout high school, mm-hmm. right, and and all throughout and all throughout college. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I graduated from from college that I think "Every Man's Battle" by Stephen Arterburn and Fred Stoker. Mm-hmm. That early 2000s, early mid 2000s is when uh, there were there were Christian resources dedicated to addressing sexuality broadly, but the the rising sort of epidemic that we were seeing with men, Christian men, right, mm-hmm. who were all struggling with pornography and masturbation, and and so I was kind of. Uh, soaking up and absorbing everything that I could on that subject, and oh, a lot of uh, my understanding and pursue, uh, pers- uh, pursuing of a biblical worldview around sex to uh, Stephen Arterburn and, mm-hmm. and his resources and the various iterations of Every Man's Battle, and and then that set me, you know. That set me on a, uh, to look at other resources and other books around, around the subject, uh, it specifically and sexuality more more broadly. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I definitely think that like my own struggles, you know, 
with um with masturbation um and what I was like taking in through books and whatnot not and whatnot also sort of caused me to seek out you know um a biblical worldview about about these things and I think also just like this awareness this growing awareness that a lot of the ways in which I thought about a lot of different things was being shaped by the world and not by um by God's God's word um and you know sex being the topic that it is I think that um it's very dynamic right and so um coming to the scriptures mm-hmm. and and trying to sort of you know parse verbs and you know do inductive bible study and you know make observations and all of that can kind of make it difficult to really discern you know what what the bible has to say about sex so i'm really thankful for for every person who's written a book christian author who's written a book about sex even if it was a bad yeah, one i want to thank here. you um, exactly. <laughs> for Agreed. for doing mm-hmm. that but you know when you consider like scripture Right. And when you consider particularly Genesis one uh, and two, what would you say like sex is for? Um, and I and I, I want to ask the question that way, because I think we talk about what sex is and what it isn't. I think we talk about, you know, who can do it and who can't. But it's like, let's just go back to like asking the question, what what is what is its purpose? Why did God mm-hmm. create it? And so what would you say sex is for? Yeah, I believe sex is, I mean, it's first and primarily for God himself. Mm. It's for God, mm. right? In in the sense that, like you just said, uh, God created, God created sex. Um, to glorify him first, everything, all of our lives, all of human life and human existence, ultimately, right, and primarily and firstly is to glorify him. So sex is for him, and then it is for us, hmm. but it's only for, it's, it's, how do I say this? It's only for us, when it is contingent of when how we're engaging with sex right mm-hmm. uh, fits within the parameters and the conditions that God has prescribed mm. right so sex is gonna is only as pleasurable and, and I mean let me let me say that differently sex is only as good as it fits God's <laughs> conditions and definitions and kind of the purposes for which he created. So it's for him, right? It's kind of like when the when first John talks about how like God's commandments are not burdensome, mm-hmm. right? So so when God gives us ordinances, precepts, commands, instructions, we may not like them, they may not always feel good, but they are they are for our good, mm-hmm. right? So sex is I think first for God, to the extent that we engage in it uh, according to the prescribed environment, context, and the conditions that God sets forth, it is then for us or for our good. We can benefit the most from mm-hmm. it, right? And you know, and in that way, like uh, it is for our it is for our mm-hmm. pleasure. Right? Mm-hmm. It certainly is for uh, procreation. We we can't procreate <laughs> if we're not having sex, mm-hmm. right? So it is res- it is responsible for uh, the proliferation of the human race mm-hmm. uh, across across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I think uh, for God's glory first. Uh, Procreation, uh, pleasure—it is an—it ex- is—it is—it is an expression of love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
of intimate love. Uh, and so I think that we can, uh, it, it is for the, uh, the maintenance, the maintenance as well as the development and the uh, and, and increasing intimacy between two people, in this case, between husband and wife. Man, Omar, that's good. <laughs> that is so good. Um, okay, I'm trying to pull up my Bible my Bible app. It's, it's, it's acting stupid. But Romans, when you said that, when you start off with saying like sex is for God, that it's first for God, it made me yeah. think about Romans uh, 11 and 36 um, for yeah. from him and through him and to him are all yes. things to him be glory yes. forever. Amen. Amen. And it's like, yes, yeah, sex is from God. It's, you know, through God and it is yes. to him, right? Like it is to be done unto him. I remember when I was in a small group and this one guy just said like, sex is worship, you know, and he was, you know, normalizing the conversation about sex, talking about it in the context of his marriage, but in a very appropriate way. And, you know, not in a way that makes singles feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but when he said it, it just like a light bulb went off for me. Like, wait a minute, sex is worship. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, like this is new. And, I think sometimes, you know, we think if we talk about sex, the more we talk about it, the more people are going to want to do it. But it was the fact that he said it like that, that it made me realize that it was about more than just my personal pleasure. It was more than just about the other person's pleasure, but that it was about God being glorified and like really yes. God's pleasure, right? Like that um, yes. when we... When we do things in the way that God intended, like when we live mm -hmm. in the way that God intended, it gives God glory and it gives God pleasure. And just the fact that I can do something like sex mm -hmm. <laughs> and bring mm -hmm. God pleasure mm -hmm. because I'm doing it in the way that he intended is right. like a right. really beautiful and powerful thing. And, and I love what you just said, because I think a lot of times in society, good sex is defined by the amount of pleasure, right, that you get from it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you just mm -hmm. talked about sex as good sex being when sex is performed and enjoyed and acted upon in the way that God intended, right? And I'm just like, yo, that's exactly. like, those are polar exactly. opposite, <laughs> you know, it is. like definitions, you know, that good sex isn't primarily about our pleasure, but it's, it's primarily about God's purposes, right? Like God's purposes in it. And so, um, there's this book, uh, creation regain. And like this book, like literally okay. changed my life because it talked about how, when, in the beginning, when God created, he didn't just create like the structure of the world, right? He didn't just create trees and vegetation and animals and people, but he created each item with a certain sort of direction or purpose yes. uh, that yes. the design was to set forth like the direction in which those things were to be. And we see that, right? In Genesis 1, when he talks about, you know, the trees and they bear fruit according to their kind, right? Like, and so, uh -huh. uh, or when after, you know, he orders the stars and the moon, he says like, now this is what you are to do. Like the sun will rule over the day, the moon will rule over the night and it will designate uh -huh. seasons, times and all those kinds of things. And it's like, yo, if God would take that much intentionality with, with those things, right? Uh -huh, How much uh -huh, more uh -huh. with us, right? And right. the same command that he gives to the animals to be fruitful and to multiply and the fish to be fruitful and multiply is the same command that he gives to humans 
And so, yes, like all of life is for God's glory. And within creation, God has embedded like the direction in which they are to move um, for like their flourishing, right? Even when he tells Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree of <laughs> the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. Like, I mean, think about it. It's the knowledge of good and evil, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> like right now, all they know is good, you know? And so God right. is saying like, I want to protect right. you from the knowledge yes. of evil. And in the same evil. ways, uh-huh. like when anytime we step outside of God's command and his will, we are stepping outside of his protection. Right. Like he put those things That's exactly right. in place for our good, for our protection, for our safety, for our security. You know, so it's like, yo, if you're struggling with like anxiety, you know, your way to peace may be obeying the commands, you know, of of, mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Or if you're struggling with insecurity, security might come through mm-hmm. like submitting your life unto the Lord. And so I don't know, man, you just that was so good yeah. about the definitions of 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 like what good sex is um because sex is worship like it yeah. is it is it is from god it is through him and it is unto him and that's a shift that i think we as christians need to make in our mind and i think it's helpful for uh single people because it's like if, you know, like we are living lives of worship unto God around sex, even when we abstain, you know, like I am still participating right. in worship yeah. through uh, abstinence, through, uh, you know, say no to like my sexual desires. I'm still living in a relationship with my sexual desires, right? Um, but I mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. am putting boundaries around them so that I can bring glory and honor to God. And I don't know, it just makes it more worth it to, to abstain, you know? Yeah. Um, and it lets me know what my relationship with sex and what my sexual desires should look like. And I think we only know, we only have a view of our relationship with our our sexual desires, our sex drive, as in pursue it, right? Um, And and to not pursue it, you know, or to be, you know, like it's like it's it's oppressive, but no, like it's worship, yeah, you know, it brings glory, yeah, to God. So I still get to participate mm -hmm. in the story, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. of God, like around around sex and sexuality. Man, I said a lot, think, <laughs> but you got yeah, me hyped. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got me hyped, bro. It's all good. And I think one of the things that you pointed out is, uh, is how what would it look like for for abstinence to be joyful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Instead of oppressive, right? And what it requires, what that kind of, let's say, orientation or approach to sex and sexuality as far as being being abstinent, what the prerequisite is that uh, for that joy is that I trust God. Right. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. I trust that God knows what's best for me. So me abstaining doesn't feel oppressive. It's like, oh, this is great. This is for my good because because I trust the Lord, because I know that he loves me. He cares for me. He's trying to protect me. And my participation through trust can bring about joy. Right. As I as I abstain, yeah. and one of the things, Jana, that pains me, mm-hmm. and I know this experience personally, and I've seen it in so many others, is that when abstinence, let's say, is uh, feels oppressive and feels like a burden, 
when a person then gets married and they have the freedom to be able to have sex, they can't experience the joy and the pleasure and, and worship God in the act after marriage when they've got the, when they're within the parameters mm-hmm. and the Lord says, go for it, have fun, enjoy yourself. They can't do it yeah. then because if you think that the primary sort of messaging around sex before marriage mm-hmm. is one of shame and oppression mm-hmm. is going to change on a dime. Yeah. When you get married, man, that's naive, that's naive and it's not true because I've seen yeah. people who can't enjoy being with their spouse, they feel convicted and shame after marriage mm-hmm. because all they've known for 20 plus years, right, yeah. is this albatross around not having, not being able to have sex has been on my neck. Yeah. That's so good because I think... Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh. Yes, it makes sense. And I have friends where that is their story, you know? Um, and it, it's almost like you you believed this sort of... You created this narrative, you know, around sex that convinced you that if you didn't have a, a, a good relationship with sex or a good uh, understanding of sex before marriage that you were going to be able to just go into marriage and all of that was just going to come really easy. And I think that just goes back to the fact that sex is not just about something that we do with our bodies, you know, that it's a whole person experience. And so if you just think like, you know, I'm going to go in here, I'm going to have sex and I'm going to be good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like all of it's going to go uh-huh, away. Uh-huh. That's not true because sex is a whole person experience. True. It's mental, emotional, physical, yes. spiritual, all of those um, things. But I think you can try to compartmentalize it. Um, and I think also just one of, one of the hidden goals <laughs> of this of this podcast it's not just to uh, see healthy singles, but to see healthy marriages. Because who makes healthy marriages? Mm-hmm. Healthy singles, right? And so singles, if you're yes. not dealing with these mm-hmm. issues now, like you're not going to just put this wet band on and all of those things magically disappear. You're struggling with pornography now. You're going to struggle with pornography when you get married. If you are right. you know, right. uh, seeking self-pleasure now, you're going to do that in marriage when maybe your spouse doesn't please you in the way that uh-huh. that you want. Uh-huh. You know, um, these these the relationship that you have with sex in general does not change just because you got married. You know, um, these are still things exactly. that you're going to have to work out. So why not do it now? You know, uh, yes. Uh, yes. and yeah, why not do it now? And so. No, that's that's so good, brother. That's so good. Um, I know there's some people listening today who really are looking, you know, listening to us and being like, yo, these people are crazy. They just talked about joy and (laughs) and abstinence. Um, So there are people like that. And there are also people who are just struggling with feelings of shame, you know, uh, struggling to bring their lives in alignment with what um, the Bible teaches. And so how would you um, encourage maybe both of those groups, like in light of the gospel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I kind of want to make a sort of, uh, I think an, an important and hopefully helpful distinction um, with respect to, with respect to shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we tend to hear and even maybe even the way that we talked about it uh, today, shame tends to have a very negative connotation attached to it. Mm-hmm. It's something that we kind of all we, we that we almost imply needs to like we want to move away from shame, mm-hmm. right? In, entirely. What I would say is that there is condemning shame, which we do want to 
uh, resist mm-hmm. and move away from, as opposed to corrective shame. Mm, that's good. Or if I could use another another few words that are that I think we do use to convey this sort of healthy shame mm. or corrective shame, it would be conviction, regret, mm. guilt, right? We there are things that we do that that we should be regretful about mm-hmm. because that from an emotional and psychological standpoint can motivate us to turn around, mm-hmm. right? It, it's and and move in a, and move in a different direction. So not all shame is bad. It just depends on the kind of shame that we're talking about. Now, if we're talking about condemning shame that says what I've done is irreparable, <laughs> can't be redeemed, there's no hope for me, and it leads to that kind of condemnation. Now, that is something that we want to we want to resist, and that's certainly something that that the Bible speaks against as uh, against as well. Yeah. The other thing about shame is, and I think it's very appropriate that we're talking about shame as it relates to sex, because usually sex and shame tend to kind of go together or connected. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's this concept in the scriptures, and we definitely see it in the Old Testament, called defilement. Mm-hmm. Right? When you look at the sacrificial system mm-hmm. and the various ceremonial washings that God instructed the, the, the Israelites to perform around certain things, it's around this issue of defilement mm-hmm. and sex like other things like certain diseases, leprosy and those kinds of things, people would, you would be, you would go around saying unclean, unclean, right? There were certain things, including sexual immorality, that made one feel dirtied, Mm -hmm. soiled, tainted, impure, Mm -hmm. okay? And shame and sexual immorality tend to go hand in hand Mm -hmm because of the defiling nature of sexual sin, Mm -hmm. right? Where the gospel comes into play there, right? Mm -hmm. Is like 1 John talks about, where he says, if we confess our sins, Mm -hmm. God is faithful to do two things. One, right, to forgive us, Mm -hmm. right? And we talk about that all the time. Our sins are forgiven, they're forgiven, they're forgiven. But we don't talk about the second, which is cleanses us yeah. from all unrighteousness. We don't talk enough about the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, yeah. right? That washes us, that makes us feel clean. Mm-hmm. There are people who feel forgiven, but they don't feel clean. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we need to allow the truth that though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be like they shall be like wool. Though they are crimson, they shall be white as snow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That the blood of Jesus Christ washes us and cleanses us. So if we're doing things that are uh, that are out of line with God's word as it relates to sex and, and sexuality, right? There is a corrective shame that we should feel. That should point us back to doing the right thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we don't need to feel condemned, and we don't, and we also need to apply the. I'm gonna use a kind of a, kind of a fancy five dollar word, alembic. Okay. <laughs> right. Alembic just means that which refines or purifies, mm-hmm. right? So the blood of Jesus Christ is an alembic, mm-hmm. right? That refines, that purifies, that washes us, uh, that hopefully will also motivate us to, if we're going in the wrong direction, to also have the confidence and the and the, the willpower and the motivation to turn around and to go in the other direction with confidence in Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen, bro. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah, it it makes total sense. I mean, first John one nine <laughs> through two two was like a game changer mm-hmm. for me, particularly around like my struggles with, with lust and sex and, and masturbation, like just like, yeah. 
you know, feeling guilty, you know, and having to like recite those verses to me, you know, to myself, like over and over again, like if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness like that. He cleanses us um, and, and makes us white as snow, you know, and, and I love how John says later, like little children, you know, I write this to you, you know, so that you wouldn't sin, but if you do, because you will, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> you, know? you have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the righteous, the righteous one. one. Yes, and yes. yeah, and so I think that that's really, it's really helpful for for those of us who are struggling with any kind of sin to know that we have a Savior who not only forgives but who cleanses. Um, and who not only yes. cleanses, but who also empowers, you know, us to mm-hmm. to live uh, the Christian life. And so even in First John, you know, when he says that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, he says that the reason why they're not burdensome is because Christ has overcome the world, you know? And so yes, that's right. these things, that's right. these commands are burdensome for you because in Christ you are an overcomer. Um, and... Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like if you feel stuck mm-hmm. in your sin, you have been forgiven, you have been cleansed and you have been empowered. Um, and I think that's what I mean, it's going to be. A, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to hold it in, you know, <laughs> like one of the last uh, episodes of the season uh, called it is it's called Sweet Victory. You know, we're going to going to mm. really lean mm. into that, you know, that truth that we we've been we've literally been born again. You know, like we've been yes. made alive yes. in Christ. You know, we are children of God, and so we are. Like this is this is who we are. We're not we're not stuck uh, in our sin, and we do not have to submit to the narrative to the world's narrative around sex, um, but that we can submit to Christ's narrative and and fully live it out, fully, fully live it out. Yes, and so yeah. Oh, I. I could do this all day. <laughs> I really could. <laughs> yeah, but would you pray um, for us? Would you pray for our listeners? Just even as it relates to shame and just, you know, yeah. God forgives, he cleanses and empowers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lord, we do thank you uh, for uh, this, this time this opportunity, this privileged uh, opportunity that you've given uh, us to talk about, uh, to talk about this wonderful, beautiful, uh, good thing uh, that is that is sex, but that we also know that uh, the enemy uh, has um, infiltrated and uh, has in many ways uh, done a a decent job at corrupting that which you have called holy and Mm -hmm. good and sacred and um and but but lord we thank you that because of christ uh, our our redeemer and as yana said who uh who gives us victory and who has overcome the world and so we too have overcome uh, the world and uh, and, and sin um, through uh, through Jesus Christ uh, Lord we thank you uh, that you've given us the this your spirit your word and wisdom uh, to uh, to redeem uh, all the ways even in which we ourselves have um, uh, sort of disobeyed, uh, tainted, ruined uh, that which Lord you have given uh, as a, as a gift to us, uh, and that is uh, meant to to glorify you. And Lord, I pray that for everyone who is listening today uh, and who will hear uh, this podcast, I pray that it would provide hope, help, comfort, healing, that it would minister uh, 
to the ears that listen. Uh, meet them at the point of their individual need uh, with, res with respect to this, with respect to this subject. And uh, but I do pray for, for victory in uh, every area of uh, our listeners' lives, uh, whether it's related to what we've talked about today or any other thing that, uh, that would cause a sense of condemning shame that would leave them feeling not just uh, dejected and despondent, but despairing. Um, so Lord, we pray that you lift your people up, uh, that you would, uh, that, their, that, that their faith would not fail them because you prayed mm -hmm. for them, um, and that they would remember uh, that nothing will ever separate them from the love of God, including mm -hmm. sexual sin. Uh, and so Lord, we entrust them to you. And again, we just thank you for the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness uh, to Yana and I uh, in this conversation mm -hmm. today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Omar, thank you. Really, thank you, bro. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, it's my joy. My joy. I enjoyed this thoroughly. <laughs>